0: Hey, everybody, this is Brian Zond. Welcome to my sermon podcast. Now, before we get into the sermon, though, I want to tell you that I have a live in person prayer school coming up Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. So, if you can be with us, we would love to have you for prayer school in the upper room right here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. And then, if you want, you can stay around for Sunday. That's our anniversary Sunday. We're celebrating 42 years here at Word of Life. So to register, it's it's registration for a donation of any amount. Go to wolc.com slash prayer school for the in-person prayer school, November 3rd and 4th. Today, we've come to the end of season 15. Of finding God in the music, yes, all good things must come to an end. I had I had someone tell me this week. They said they were they were just enthusiastic about finding God in the music. He said August has become my favorite month. I said, well, it's my least favorite month, but I, I found something fun to do with it. So, there you go. Um, over the past now four Sundays, this will be the fifth. I've preached with musical assistance. From Young the Giant, remember Young the Giant, all the way up four weeks ago with The Walk Home. And then I got some help from the Foo Fighters, Rescued, and then Dave, and Dave Matthews' band, Monsters. The Monsters in Your Head, they crawl from under your bed, get in your head. and We talked about that. Uh, last week, how many remember who, 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 who was it last week? Metallica. You know, that was surprisingly popular. I met, I met uh, all kinds of meek and mild people in the foyer who turn out to be closet metalheads. And uh, I was surprised at how, how popular that was with Luxey Turnham. Well, today we're going to go to the other end of the rock music spectrum, at least pretty much. Uh, the artist. Well, the artist is a true legend. The artist belongs on the singer-songwriter Mount Rushmore. This is, they're that big. They're that good. The artist I'm talking about is Paul Simon. Oh, man, that guy. He can write songs. I mean, think about, Sound of Silence, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. What a way to start a song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. I've come to talk with you again. Uh, songs like Bridge Over Troubled Water. Well, we used to sing that in youth group when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Robinson. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Woo, woo, woo. That's a great song. A mother and child reunion. No, I would not give you false hope on this strange and mournful day. But the mother and child reunion is only a motion away. Ah, that's a good song. Uh, Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. I still don't know exactly what they were doing down there, but it was against the law. I know that much. Kodachrome, when I look back on all the... Okay, I'm not going to do that. But... uh, loves me like a rock when I was just a little boy, and the devil would call my name. I say, who do? Who do you think you're fooling? I'm a consecrated boy. I'm a singer in the Sunday choir. (laughs) Oh, it's a good song. Fifty ways to leave your lover. You probably know some of them. (laughs) Like what's... Give me one. You hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Make a new plan, Stan. Huh? Another one? Drop off the Keeley and get yourself free. No need to be coy, Roy. You know, there's, we know these songs. Slip sliding away. The more you're near your destination, the more you're slip sliding away. You can call me Al." I love that song. Perry loves that song. This is one of our favorites. We love... Call me. Remember remember the, in the heyday of MTV, that music video with, with Paul Simon and Chevy Chase. How many of you remember that one? That's a classic. Well, uh, Paul Simon has put out 20 studio albums, five with Simon and Garfunkel, and 15 solo. He's won 16 Grammys, three times he's won Album of the Year. Yeah, he's no slouch. He grew up in a Jewish home in New York City. He was studying to be a lawyer. And he kind of had this little music thing on the side. And he wrote and recorded Sound of Silence and became a big hit. And he decided he would just rather have lawyers work for him. (laughs) That's what he says. Um, He's one of the true greats. It's interesting. He's not really my style of music, but his songs are so good that you have to love them. I mean, if you don't love them, it says something poor about you as a human being. You just, you have to love these songs. They're so good. Uh, he can bring me to tears. I t- he, can, he can bring me to tears. Paul Simon is 81 years old. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in May, he released his 20th studio album. It's called Seven Psalms. It's very interesting. It's a 33-minute suite of seven songs with recurring themes and refrains. And if you go to stream it, which is how most people listen to music these days, you even though there are seven songs in there, you can't pick one. It's presented as one single 33-minute track. And Paul Simon apparently is just saying, you want to listen to this? Listen to the whole thing. I'm not going to let you just pick one song. You have to listen to the whole thing. Uh, that's, That's interesting. Now, religious and spiritual themes have always been pretty common in Paul Simon's music. But this album's different. He talks about it. He said he had a dream a couple of years ago. And in his dream, a voice said, write seven psalms. If you ask him who the voice was, he'll say, I don't know. I think I know. He says, a voice said, write seven psalms. He woke up and he thought, oh, what are psalms? I don't even know what psalms are. He, he knew, but he says, you know, I didn't really know. And so he, he read the psalms. And he said, well, I, they're not, not going to be like that. And he didn't know what to do with it. And then he began to have dreams. He'd wake up from a dream about 3 a.m. many nights with a song lyric. And he would write it down. And then maybe in the morning he would try to, uh, to then add something to it. And he said it wouldn't work. The only way that the lyrics came to him were in dreams. And so he says, I feel like I didn't even write the lyrics for seven psalms, they were they were given to me in an interview he also says and I find this very interesting the listener completes the song not the songwriter the listener completes the song not the songwriter in other words that's one way of him saying your interpretation of my song is as valid or perhaps more so than mine he's saying I don't know that I know what these songs mean It's the listener who completes the song, not the songwriter. Now, the opening line of the record is I've been thinking about the great migration. And that's, and it becomes very clear that he's, that's death. He's 81 years old. I've been thinking about the great migration. That's his metaphor for the next journey, the journey beyond this life. And then after 33 minutes, the album ends with him expressing some hesitancy about making this great migration, but then another voice enters in, a female voice, it happens to be his wife, uh, Edie Brickell, who's a singer, and she's singing back to him, and it ends like this, life is a meteor, let your eyes roam, heaven is beautiful. It's almost like home. Children, get ready. It's time to come home. And then there's this beautiful amen. Well, I'm not going to play all 33 minutes for you. Actually, I could. I could just play the the entire 33 minutes and then give a benediction and have communion. But but I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is I'm going to give you the first three minutes and 33 seconds of this 33-minute album It's called Seven Psalms. The first one is simply called The Lord. So Seven Psalms, first one, The Lord. And we've created a music video for it, a lyric video, and we we put this together. And you know we can't stream it, you know, by now, com slash music videos, and there it is. It'll be put in the comments. But you can go, um, if you're online with us, See here this song, and then I'll be back to talk about it. So, Paul Simon with seven Psalms, the Lord.
1: About the Great Migration Noon and night they leave the flock And I imagine their destination Meadow grass, jagged rock The Lord is my engineer The Lord is the earth I ran on The Lord is the face in the atmosphere slipping and sliding truly the The Lord is my engineer. The Lord is the earth I ride on. The Lord is a face in the atmosphere. The path I slip and I slide on. The Lord is a virgin forest. The Lord is a forest ranger. The Lord is a meal for the poorest of the poor. Welcome door to the stranger
0: Probably You could probably tell that it wasn't the end of it. We just sort of, it was a, a, a moment to step aside from it. I imagine some of you will be streaming that today, the entire 33 minutes. I've been thinking about the great migration. It's one way of speaking of death. Noon and night they leave the flock. Well, in, in an interview he said, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about my friends. He said, you're 81, your friends start dying Jimmy Buffett, just, what, yesterday. And I imagine their destination, meadow grass, jagged rock. The Lord is my engineer. King David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Paul Simon said, the Lord is my engineer. I'm here for it, amen. The Lord is my engineer. The earth, the Lord is the earth I ride on. I I like that. I'm not a pantheist, So you can just breathe easy here. But uh, neither do I think that God created ex nihilo out of nothing. I don't think that makes sense. I'm with Maximus the Confessor, I think the most erudite of the church fathers, who said God doesn't create ex nihilo out of nothing. God creates ex dio out of himself. Out of himself, So the first incarnation is creation. And then there is the particular incarnation of God joining that in Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord is my engineer. The, or, the Lord is the earth I ride on. The Lord is the face in the atmosphere. The path I slip and slide on. At age 34, Paul Simon was singing about slip sliding away. The more you near your destination, the more you are slip sliding away. But at 81... He's saying the Lord is the path I slip and slide on. I find that interesting. The Lord is a virgin forest. The Lord is a forest ranger. I like that one a lot. I like that a lot. The Lord is a virgin forest. God creating out of himself. But then God enters his own creation through the incarnation of the Logos. Because it turns out that uh, the virgin forest needs some care. Needs, Actually, it needs some salvation. It needs a forest ranger to come and set all that's wrong right. Oh, this is good. Remember, remember, the songwriter doesn't complete the song. The listener does. I'm the listener. I'm completing it. The Lord is a virgin forest. The Lord is a forest ranger. The Lord is a meal for the poorest of the poor. A welcome door to the stranger. Well, that's, just, that's Matthew 25 stuff right there. All right, finding God in the music is about a lot of things. But part of what it's about is it's about having some respect for artistic spiritual intuition. I'll tell you something that I didn't tell you 15 years ago. I mean, I had all kinds of reasons for doing this series, but the, the reason that I didn't tell people, although it was one of the reasons, was I was just so weary <laughs> of people being dismissive of any art expression that wasn't overtly Christian, which I would say almost overtly propagandistic. And you know, don't confuse art and propaganda. And so part of what I was doing 15 years ago when I called it Finding God on Your iPod, without saying it, I was communicating, come on, pay attention. There is things of value in artistic spiritual intuition that may not come with the potential to win a Dove Award or something like that. So... Um, Instead of fighting everything that isn't overtly Christian, which is silly and wrong-headed, we recognize that the poetic and the prophetic are related and that artists often have profound insight into the nature of reality, into the spiritual nature of reality. Now, this is something the Apostle Paul obviously clearly understood and it served him well in preaching the gospel in the pagan Gentile world. So around the year 51, yeah, educated guess, AD 51, Paul shows up in Athens. You know Athens. Athens, you know, it was past its prime, but I mean, Athens, you know, is, is, is the cradle of Western civilization. 400 years earlier, this had been, you know, the city of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And this represents probably the very best thinking about the nature of reality in the Gentile world. And so this was the city of philosophers and thinkers and poets. And Paul arrives there. And... uh, Paul goes to the Areopagus. You you probably know it as Mars Hill, the Areopagus, which was a gathering place, a meeting place, a a place of public gathering. It was also the seat of something like the city council. It's it's a place where ideas were exchanged because this this is the great city of ideas. You know, Athens is the city of ideas. And Paul goes to the Areopagus and he begins to preach. I'll read you some of what he preached. Acts 17, pick it up in verse 24. Paul says at the Areopagus in Athens, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. For one blood, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God. And perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even one of your poets has said. For we too are his offspring. Alright so, so Paul is there in Athens. And he respects and commends the human search for the divine. We're groping, we're seeking, we're searching, hoping that we can find God. But in his sermon, his Mars Hill sermon, he quotes two pagan Greek poets. This is the original finding God in the music. This is Paul knowing The songs that were popular in that culture and pointing out they say something true. In him we live and move and have our being. That comes from Epimenides. We'll get back to that. And then then he he identifies one of them. He says, As one of your own poets has said, this is Eratus, for we too are his offspring. So he's quoting two different Greek poets. Eratus, we are his offspring. And Epimenides, in him we live and move and have our being. How many of you like that verse? You know, you've always, you've always liked that. In him we live and move and have our being. That, that, that we are, that God is not far off. That, that, I don't know how to say it any better. In, in him, in God, we live and we move and have our being. How many of you have always kind of liked that verse? Let me tell you where it comes from. This is not Paul. This is Paul doing finding God in the music stuff. It comes from Epimenides, a 7th century Greek poet from the island of of Crete. And he has this poem, and you understand these poems will be sung, so they're like songs. Um, Hymn to Zeus. Zeus being the chief god in the Greek pantheon. This is the the chief God. And this isn't, this isn't the whole song, poem. This is just part of it. But here's a little snippet of "Hymn to Zeus by Epimenides. They fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one, Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. But you are not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you we live and move and have our being about that if if you're a careful bible reader you will recognize that there are two lines from this passage of him to zeus show up in two different places in the new testament in uh that bit about Cretans are always liars even be lazy gluttons that shows up in uh first timothy 112 and remember the one saying that is himself a Cretan, so it's part of a a self-criticism thing It's not an outsider saying that. It's it's one of their own being critical of this particular society. And then, of course, the line, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul will say that about the true God, the one true God, who's the creator of all things. But the, the line originally comes from a Greek poet speaking of the chief God of the Greek pantheon Zeus. So Paul's able to, you know, he, he knows that Zeus isn't the true God, but he also rep- recognizes that Epimenides was able to say something about the true God, even if he's a little bit confused through idolatry and is applying to Zeus something that really belongs to the living God. Well, Epimenides, this uh, 7th century... B.C. poet from the Greek island of Crete, he, see, he speaks of a lie. You know, Cretans are always liars. Well, the lie he is attempting to refute, if you read the whole hymn, it's clear, is that there were, there were people in Crete saying that Zeus is mortal, that Zeus is subject to death, that Zeus could die. That Zeus is mortal. And in his hymn to Zeus, he said, oh, no, 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 no. No, they, they fashion a tomb for you, holy and high one. But these, these people, they're liars, evil beasts, lazy guns. You are not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you we live and move and have our being. It's interesting. Paul doesn't rail against the religion of Greek mythology. Instead, he works with the hymn to Zeus to tell the Athenians about Jesus and he's going to because, you know, Paul's Paul's always going to get to Jesus. And he he uses that as a place to begin to get to Jesus, who is the one true God, but also the true mortal. So in one sense, God can't die. But what if God becomes a mortal and then does die? Well, that has implications. If God joins us in our plight, If God comes among us as one of us, joins us in our mortality, then God can die. But what happens when God enters into death? Well, that changes everything. So Paul is explaining that the one in whom we have, that this one that has died and been raised is the one through whom humanity has the resurrection from the dead. So I'll jump toward the end of the sermon. Verse 32 when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. The church... Tradition tells us that Dionysius, the Areopagite, being an Areopagite means he he was like a judge or he was on the council. He he had official capacity there at the Areopagus as as one that would be part of the council or maybe like a, a judge. But anyway, church tradition tells us he became the first bishop of Athens. So Paul at Athens... Working with secular music, (laughs) it wasn't secular; it's religious, but it it wasn't Jewish, it wasn't Christian. It's it's you know Greek pagans. But he's using that as a point to say, no, no, it's true. We are the offspring of God, and it's true in God we live and move and have our being. Uh, It is true. It is true that God is immortal, but it's also I've got some news to tell you that God became mortal that he might share our predicament and enter into death for us so that we could be liberated from death. Uh, Yeah, I I would just... Might as well be a Christian about it, you know. So Paul is preaching the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead ones. Anastasis, Necros, the, the dead ones resurrected. Now, some scoff at this. I mean, then and now. I mean, people scoffing at the idea of the resurrection is nothing, nothing new. Contrary to what some people seem to think, the ancients actually did know that dead people tend to stay dead. They, they were aware of this. Um But Paul is preaching good news. He's preaching a gospel. He's preaching about a God who became human to enter into death to liberate the dead ones from death. And this is Paul's in Christ resurrection theology. So in the death of Christ, in the death of Christ, I mean, Jesus is taking on humanity that he might restart humanity. The the theological term is recapitulation. To, to give it a new capital, a new head. There was, we were in Adam, but now we're going to be in Christ. And the logos takes on humanity and then dies so that old, the old humanity dies in Christ, but then is raised so the new humanity is raised in Christ. And Paul says, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Amen. Amen. In Christ, all shall be made alive. I've been thinking about the great migration. Noon and night, they leave the flock. And I imagine their destination, metal grass, jagged rock. I've been thinking about the great migration. You ever think about the great migration or you just whistle past the graveyard? Put it out of mind. No, I, I think you should think about it. Been thinking about the Great Migration. Noon and night they leave the flock. Well, what happens at death? What happens? What happens? Well, Christ has gone down into death. Paul says that Christ now fills all things everywhere with Himself. He, he descend. The one who ascended is the one who also descended. So that now for a human being to go on the great migration is not to encounter death. Now, from our vantage point, we'll say well, they died. That's, that's our perspective. Not their perspective. They've gone on a great migration, and they've encountered not death, but the Lord. The Lord is my engineer. They encounter the Lord for judgment and the hope of salvation. They encounter the Lord. Now, I want to uh, I want to give you some speculation. I just want to speculate a little bit here. So we put this under the category of speculation. So you don't have to buy it. But it isn't merely my speculation either. Uh, respected theologians like Hans Borsma, John Baer, Douglas Campbell, definitely share this view, and probably C.S. Lewis. He's not around to ask. But I think he did. So it's like this. Imagine, I don't know how to do this. Imagine, um, we'll just have it here. Imagine a, a, a door frame, a door, a portal, a doorway. Let's call it that, a doorway. And to go through this doorway is the Great Migration. The doorway is death. So here we are, we, over here we're in the land of the living and beyond this we're not quite sure what it is but there's something beyond. So here we are on this side, we're in the land of the living and you know, one by one they leave the flock. Paul died around the year 64, executed by Nero in Rome. So somewhere around the year 64, Paul goes to the door. Then, like, uh, mm, well, church tradition says that Dionysus uh, died in the year 95. So, like, what, 31 years later, then Dionysus goes through. Sometime in the late 14th century, Julian of Norwich goes through it. So, so we see people at different times. Everybody has to go through it, but they don't go through it at the same time. Right? Every, everybody's going to have to go through that door. Not everybody goes at the same time. They go, they go, they go. Here's my speculation. That everyone goes through the door at various times, but they all arrive at the same time. Everybody. Everybody arrives at the same time. And there is no intermediate waiting. So 64, Paul enters. 95, Dionysus enters. But they step out exactly the same time. And neither of them, I mean, someday I'll go through that door but I will arrive with everybody else. We all arrive at the same time for judgment and to meet our Savior. Einstein can help you with this. (laughs) Don't say that can't be. Well, actually it can be. Actually it can be that we enter at various times, could be spread out by thousands, tens of thousands of years, but we all arrive at the same instant together and no sense of Paul saying, man, I've been waiting for you guys for like 2,000 years. Where you been? No. i been thinking about the great migration. This, by the way, this is what is depicted at the end of Terrence Malick's masterpiece film, The Tree of Life which we showed in here a few years ago, and I sat, remember I sat on the front row and gave you I whispered commentary thread because I've seen it 50 times, you know. I mean, not to boast, but I'm kind of an expert on it. If you want to see this depicted cinematically, and if you have the tree of life, you know, you, you, you purchased it because of course you did, And you just want to see the resurrection theme. You start at exactly two, two hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. So you can just, you know, if you already know the first two hours, just you start at two hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. And then it's the remainder of the film. It's about 14 minutes long. It's the resurrection. And there, there, there is the doorway and people arriving at the same time. And it's so beautiful. It'll bring tears to your eyes. Well, this is Paul's gospel of the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Some will scoff like some of the Athenians did, but some will believe like Dionysius and Damaris did. And in believing the gospel of resurrection, come on now, there's great peace and joy. I mean, this is the hope that we're not abandoned, we're not left alone, that Christ enters into death to rescue us all. Amen. I'll give the last word of this sermon to Paul Simon. The sacred harp that David played to make his songs of praise, we long to hear those strings that set his heart ablaze. The ringing strings, the thought that God turns music into bliss. Life is a meteor. Let your eyes roam. Heaven is beautiful. It's almost like home. Children, get ready. It's time to come home. Amen. Stand up with me. How many of you think you're probably listening to that today? Yeah, I thought so. And then when you're done with that, you, you, you watch the last 14 minutes of Tree of Life. <laughs> I'm curating your, your art experience for this afternoon. All right, we're going to come now to the table of the Lord. Uh, this is the bread of heaven. Um, Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven to give life. And Jesus comes and shares our mortality that we might share in his immortality. And he gives us this immortality through this sacrament, through giving us his life, his flesh, his blood in the bread and wine of communion. And so everyone is invited. Everyone's invited to come. you'll, You'll come. The ushers will direct you. Someone will have a basket of bread and they'll say the body of Christ broken for you. You take the bread And then someone has a cup and they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you, dip the bread into the cup and receive the bread of heaven that gives life. All right, join with me in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now together, let's confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility, ask for mercy in the name of Jesus Christ. Your sins, my sins, they are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.